This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to a Tuesday afternoon edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I am the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and I am joined, as I am every Tuesday, by the great baseball writer up there in Manhattan, New York, John Taylor. John, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Not too bad. How about yourself? Not not too bad, John. Not too bad. Had a weird dream last night that um, kind of blended into reality. That It was one of those, I don't know if you're like this, John. But if I wake up too early and I decide not to stay awake, I go back to sleep briefly. And those brief uh, sleeps, I always have just like insane dreams. Do you ever have that? Not really, no. Um, I get crazy dreams sometimes. But I mean, I know what you're talking about, though, that sometimes you do have that time where you wake up and you fall back asleep for like an hour, but your brain is still like running in like super high, like REM or whatever. Yes. Take a crazy dreams. So that doesn't happen to me in a bit, I don't think. Mm. Well, that was me this morning. It really weirded me out. But, um, yeah, I uh, <laughs> one of the things uh, – I'm curious, John. Are you a hard sleeper or a light sleeper? Because the girlfriend has figured out that I could sleep through a like atomic bomb going off. And um, <laughs> I, uh, I I love it. I love it. She just thinks I'm dead every day. It's, it's great. You, you love to see it. Um, what are you? Are you a light sleeper or a heavy sleeper? I'm a heavy sleeper. I can sleep through pretty much anything. Oh, the heavy sleeper boys. I like it. I like it. We're yeah, both heavy sleepers. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm big about it. I'll sleep through damn anything, man. I've 100% slept through a tornado, an earthquake. I'm trying to think what else. People just like breaking stuff in the room that is just like extremely loud. And they're like, did you really not hear that thing fall off the mantle or whatever? And you're like, no, didn't hear a thing. You slept through an earthquake? I did sleep through an earthquake. Damn, man impressive i know i know i know that's how i got into podcasting it was like hey you know if i can sleep through an earthquake i can host a sports podcast monday through friday that is the seamless transition john i was gonna say it sounds a lot like dodgeball (laughs) (laughs) uh a very good movie that i've not seen in a long time um well don't forget folks you can check out chaseonspodcast.com for all access of all my writing and all of my podcast that i do uh not only with john but uh with all kinds of great awesome people monday through friday uh you can go check out uh, muse and thomas the new film podcast that we split off that we did in the fall that now needs some feed because chase thomas podcast is blue wire and so yeah go check out bluewirepods.com and muse and thomas um the movie review podcast that we uh launched on a separate feed this week um and if you're an apple podcast listener guess what folks i'm gonna ask you again because i'm gonna ask you every day leave a five-star rating or review it helps more than you know it takes five seconds if you have an iphone if you have it right now go do it it'd be great um 
John, there are some news items that we have to hit before we get into our season review of the Oakland A's. Okay. A lot of stuff happened. A lot of, a lot of stuff still happening. Um, and I cannot wait for your Cardinals take, but we're going to save it for a second. I'm going to make the, okay. we're going to do a, a preamble before we get to Nolan Arenado and the Cardinals and the Rockies. Um, the Cincinnati Reds signed. Yes. Sean Doolittle. What, uh, what do you make of the Reds going for it with Mr. Doolittle? I mean, it's, it's not, is it really going for it? I mean, Doolittle, like three or four years ago, signing Doolittle would have been going for it, but he's coming off uh, a season where he only pitched about seven innings, dealt with injury stuff. His velocity crashed. His slider looked like garbage, lost all his strikeouts. I don't think that's something that can't be fixed. It seems like the issue is probably and primarily health, but at the same time, like health is something where it's like, you know, that there's not really a whole lot the Reds can do in that regard except just hope that Sean Doolittle's body is more conducive to pitching this time around than before. If he's healthy and he gets back that velocity and the slider regains its shape, yeah, they've got a really good uh, reliever for the back end of that bullpen. You know, if nothing else, they've got a guy who can pitch uh, comfortably against lefties and probably frees up Amir Garrett to do some more stuff. But ultimately, it's still just one reliever on a team that needs a lot more than that. And it's a reliever with uh, he's had a lot of injury problems and it was really bad last year. Again, admittedly small sample size, but still. Um, so I don't know. I it, it's definitely a high it's definitely a high ceiling move. And I, I guess there's not really much of a risk involved if Doolittle's bad. You know, if that's that. But I think the bigger issue there is you know the Reds need to do more. And I think the bigger issue for them, especially, is they missed out on all the shortstops who signed. I know we're going to touch on a few of them. Um, they really need to figure out a solution at that particular spot. Uh, they just do not have one right now, and that's a much bigger issue than, say, adding uh, than adding a, a reliever in Sean Doolittle. Especially because their bullpen was actually pretty okay before that. They were not a great bullpen by any stretch of the imagination, but like, didn't feel like a bullpen to me that needed necessarily a lot of attention, more so than stuff like, you know, like I said, like shortstop or other positions in the, on the team. Absolutely. Um, well, let's get into the Cardinals acquiring Nolan Arenado to seal up the NL Central this year um, as, they, as they are the only team, I guess, going for it, um, wanting to win the division this year. Um, what do you make of it from the Cardinals' perspective and also the Rockies' perspective? Start off on the, the happier the, the happier. Yeah, I, I, the think Cardinals. The, I think the Rockies' perspective is pretty – or the, sorry, the Cardinals' perspective is pretty easy. They've got the, one of the best third basemen in baseball – literally for free this year, which, boy, we're going to get into that when it comes to the Rockies. But there, to me, there's no there's no downside to Arenado um, if you're going to get his year for free. Um, I guess the only danger is he has a terrible year because he's still not over his shoulder injury and then opts into a very big contract. But I have to imagine that this deal would not, would not have come together if – I assume they're still doing physicals to a certain degree. Um, if Arenado's shoulder still looked like a problem – through the physicals. I, I mean, you never want a shoulder injury for a power hitter. That's always really scary. But if Arenado is back to his usual self, then obviously this is a great deal for, for St. Louis. And like you said, they're the only team that seems to be trying in the NL Central. So, you know, this this definitely makes sense for them to do it, you know. Um, they've pretty much made themselves the favorite. You know, maybe they have to make, like, I'd, I'd, I'd have to take a, a closer look at the Cardinals roster, which I assume we will at some point, uh, to figure out kind of what makes the most sense for them to do now. But, yeah, if Arenado's healthy, this is a steal. Especially because, one, like I noted, they're getting paid. His salary is being paid by the Rockies this year, which, boy. 
and they gave up virtually nothing for it. They gave up five players, none of whom are real prospects. Like Austin Gomber, the lefty they gave up, was the best guy in that bunch, and he's a back-of-the-rotation guy who they don't need. So for the cost they paid, it's a great deal. If Arenado is back to his usual self, it's a boy. Which gets me to the Rocky side of things, which this is no doubt the stupidest and worst team in baseball. I know there are teams that are worse in terms of their on-field performance. The Pirates are going to be awful this year. The Tigers are going to be awful this year. The Orioles are the Orioles have had a very quietly had a really really like just insulting offseason where they're just refusing to spend money. Like flat out refusing to spend money. They are going to be terrible. But I don't think any of those teams is nearly as stupid, incompetent and flat out just bad at what they do than the Colorado Rockies. It's the dumbest front office in baseball. It's the worst ownership in baseball, which is really saying something. There are a lot of really terrible owners out there. But Dick Monfort, number one, seems to be under the impression that the Rockies are contenders despite the fact that their roster charitably right now might win like 65 games next year. Number two, he ended up creating the situation with Arenado because Arenado rightfully after signing that big extension wanted the Rockies to spend and spend well to create a contender. Did the Rockies do that? No. Did they get in public fights with Arenado? Yes. They screwed themselves. They gave him an opt out in that contract that he didn't need. And then he was going to, and then I, I don't know how much you saw of their like belief beggaring press conference today. But Monfort's uh, insinuation is basically, well, we knew we had to trade him because if we didn't, he would use the opt-out, and all we would get for him is a draft pick with the qualifying offer. Fine, okay, but number one, that's your fault. You gave him that opt-out for no reason. He didn't ask for it. You just gave it because you're stupid. On top of that, that opt-out was probably the biggest reason why they, the, like the, car, or the Rockies had no leverage to trade Arenado because every team involved in, discussing, in discussions for him, and I, we don't know how many there were, but any team who would have talked to them about Arenado would have, been, would have said to them, well, how do we know he's sticking around past next year? He's got an opt-out. Why would we give up a lot of good prospects for a guy we might have for a single year if he decides he doesn't like it here or if he has a really good year and wants to rebuild his value or try again? Like, you, 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 you screwed yourself. You screwed yourself in so many different ways for no reason at all. And then on top of that, they take a five-player prospect package where uh, Eric Longenhagen has a good recap of the prospects up on, on Fangraphs. In his opinion, most of those guys are role players at best in the future. Maybe there's a long-term, maybe there's a regular starter in there, but certainly not. This is a worse package than the Red Sox got for Mookie Betts, a worse package than the Indians got for Francisco Lindor. It's even a worse package than what the Cubs got for you, Darvish. And they gave up Nolan Arenado. And they paid $50 million to do it. They are going to pay Nolan Arenado's salary this year. He is going to play for the Cardinals for free. Because the Rockies are just the dumbest. I think the part I enjoyed most about their press conference today, beyond Dick Monfort saying that he had he, every he thought about the deal ten different times and didn't like it, but finally did it. Which why <laughs> did you do that? Or the part where he said, "I understand that Rockies fans are mad and that they might think this is a mistake." Well, you don't say. 
I think my favorite part, though, was when he said that the mistake the Rockies had made was not keeping DJ LeMahieu, which there are two parts that to me. One of which is LeMahieu um, very obviously was not, you know, succeeding all that well in, in Colorado anymore. Something was clearly wrong there. And that, that, that goes to a longstanding existing, not even belief, because it's, it's not a belief, it's reality in baseball, which is that the Rockies do not get the most out of their players. They don't even get, as, they don't even get half as much as they should out of their players. You know, it, it should come as no surprise that LeMay, who left Colorado, went to a very smart team in the Yankees and immediately became an awesome player again. Number two, the, the contract that DJ LeMay, who signed with the Yankees, was two years and $24 million, which is what the Rockies gave to Daniel Murphy. That's not a lot of money. You could have just given DJ LeMahieu that money instead of Daniel Murphy. Why did you not do that if DJ LeMahieu was that important? Did you only realize it in retrospect? If so, why? Isn't the job of your GM, Jeff British, to realize that kind of stuff? This, it's just... I feel bad for Rockies fans in particular, and I feel myself getting worked up because I don't understand... I, I don't know, man. It's just they screwed themselves, and this trade didn't have to happen. And even beyond my usual ranting and raving about teams just giving up and like players not being worth anything anymore, and these trades happening, and the only teams that care are like five teams that are actually trying. I think this is a, a situation beyond that because it's just a testament to how utterly incompetent the Colorado Rockies are. Like this is just. I'm out of words at this point. I feel like I've just yelled them all, but like I, I just, if you're a Rockies fan, I don't know how you keep going with this franchise until both ownership and front office are gone because they're, they're incompetent. They don't know what they're doing. They are. And not only do they don't know what they're doing, they're arrogant. They think they know everything. They think they know what they're doing, even though we now have multiple, multiple examples that that is not the case. And the Arenado trade is just the most like appalling one yet. And I, 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 where do the Rockies go from here? I, I love Jeff British saying this is not a rebuild. You're right. Rebuilds imply that you're building something. What are the Rockies building? None of the prospects they got back for Arenado are probably going to make any difference in the long term. Think about it. In the short term, they're in maybe the toughest division, not the toughest division in baseball, but the division with the two best teams in the National League, plus two teams in Arizona and San Francisco that are well-run and intelligent, even though Arizona is also one of those teams that has a uh, – a good contending uh, argument for worst owner in baseball in Ken Kendrick. But long-term, what is the Rocky strategy? They don't have a good farm system. They don't have any pieces to build around except Trevor's story, and I can't imagine he's going to want to stick around after everything that's happened. They still don't know how to develop pitching. They don't know how to draft. Every free agent signing their GM has made in the last five years has been an absolute catastrophe. Their owner doesn't want to spend money anymore, and they just chase the best player they've ever developed literally the best player in franchise history completely out of town for no reason whatsoever you think he's the best player in Where franchise do you history go? yes i think so. i don't i don't even know who would be sec- who, I, tula Whitke, i guess is the only other realistic choice but yeah. no arenado is the best player they've ever developed mm. todd and helton's got to be in there is, right todd helton's got to be in there Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry, I forgot Todd Helton. I forgot about Todd Helton. Um, either way, Nolan Arenado is way up there. He's definitely the best player that they've developed in, since the Todd Helton era, for sure. Yes. Um, I think, the, again, the only other uh, debate there is Tula Witsky, but I, I don't know if you can really give it to him, given all the injuries and, and struggles he's had. But 
and the way his career kind of just petered out at the end, which, again, is another thing. The Rockies just wasted a good chunk of that career. Um, but, I mean, you can't really hold them – you can't really hold them responsible for Arenado uh, having health issues. You can hold them responsible for never building a team around Arenado that was any damn good except for roughly one year and then giving him up for pennies on the dollar. I, I mean, I don't know, man. That, that I, I don't know how you get any worse than what the Rockies are right now. Like, that's, that is a – 65-win team in perpetuity. And I don't think that changes until ownership changes and until the, especially the front office changes. Yeah. So I, I'm just really sad for Rockies fans, man. They, they don't deserve this. Well, it's been a great offseason for Major League Baseball, got to say. Yeah, and, that, and that's kind of the other part of it, too, is like all these franchise stars have been traded, and most of them have been traded for very little. I think the Blake Snell trade is probably the one that had the best return, but even there, you're like, I, I don't know. It's like, it's just not really a healthy, it's not, you're right, it's not healthy for the sport to have this kind of stuff keep happening. And it's especially not healthy for the sport to have people like Dick Monfort and Jeff British be in charge of shit. <laughs> uh, it's, it's just, man, it's shameful. And it's just depressing. Um, it is. In happier news, Masahiro Tanaka returned to Japan, had a good run in New York. It's time to go home, but uh, yeah. Happy trails, Mr. Tanaka. Yeah, I'm a little surprised that nobody wanted to keep him around because, you know, for he was a very good I'm going to guess for, it was New York or he was leaving. Uh, that would be my that's guess. What I, that's what I assume. Um, what I kind of find most curious is that Tanaka, like, the, or not so much that Tanaka left, because you're right, I do, think he, I do think I agree with you that it was New York or bust because he really did seem to love New York, and I think he was just comfortable there. Um I think for me it's more, why was New York so uninterested in keeping him? Mm. That's kind of what confused me, because that rotation without him, um, I mean, it's not a bad rotation. Obviously, it's got Garrett Cole. They traded for Jamison Tyon. They signed Corey Kluber. Uh, there's some upside, obviously, in Jordan Montgomery uh, you know, and Domingo Herman. Uh, they have Davey Garcia. Probably will be part of that at some, at some point, if not from the very start of the season. But at the same time, what they really don't have, aside from Cole, is a kind of a dependable source of innings. Yeah. And, you know, Tanaka, if nothing else, is a good bet every season for hundred like 120 to 150 innings minimum, and probably better than that, and was a pretty reliable performer in the postseason. I don't know, maybe the Yankees saw something in their internal metrics that suggested, eh, like, you know, we're not, like, this is not really a good value or whatever, et cetera, et cetera. I, I still just find it a little strange that they just, didn't want him back um but i mean i like you said I, I think for tanaka like you know definitely it's he wanted to go home and i don't blame for that especially because not only does he get to go home but he gets to go home to you know the team that he was with before and you know that that, that means something to him and that, that's nice for him i just do find it strange that he could not find a home that or sorry that that new york seemed to have no real interest in him that that's what i just find kind of strange about the whole thing because you know for the seven seasons he was there five of them he was very good and the other two he was average so you know really that's what more can you ask for honestly dustin pedroia retires after years and years now of just battling knee issues where it's just like this dude is not gonna be able to run anymore um he was great for a long time and uh he's gone and now he gets to uh make little leaguers lives a living hell uh (laughs) what do you what do you make of dustin pedroia's career and uh him moving on 
Yeah, I mean, like you said, the knees were really the problem. I mean, I think I think he said in his press conference, like he can't, he literally cannot run after the knee replacement he had. So obviously, there's no real chance you can have a career going forward from there. It's just a shame because obviously, during his peak from his rookie of the year winning season through we'll call it 2013, which is the last All Star year, and then things kind of started to fall apart from there. He only played one season of 154 more games beyond that point. But for his first, um, what is that, seven seasons? His collective line was 305, 372, 457 with a 118 OPS plus. And in that span of time, he was worth, uh, here we go, where'd it go? Uh, 38.7 wins above replacement, which I, I haven't done a, obviously a search that, but I assume that's among players in that span of time, that's probably pretty high up there. Um, it's a shame though, because that, that dude, I obviously as a Red Sox fan loved watching him um, just a and I know it's very easy to reduce Dustin Pedroia's like career to the kind of compliments you would have given to like David Eckstein, like grinder plays hard, never takes a playoff, like you know baseball like Jim Rat, baseball lifer, like loves the game, like blah blah blah. But it's true, man. He really was all those things. He also just happened to be absurdly, stupidly talented. Like, and I feel like that's kind of the thing that gets overlooked when it comes to Dustin Pedroia is that it's so easy to default to stuff like grinder, gamer, dirt dogs, you know, that, you know, the obvious stuff like that, that dude has some of the, had some of the quickest wrists I've ever seen on a major league player. Like Gary Sheffield levels, quick wrist, every at bat, he just line drive laser balls. Like, like I, I don't know how much of any um, exit velocity readings or how many exit velocity readings we ever really, good fielder he's never a great fielder he's a good fielder who always you know always sold out to make to make the big plays so the one I always remember is saving clay buckles is no hitter in in 2007 with a diving play um and he was just fun i always remember talking to yankees fans and how that was the one player they couldn't hate because they knew how much they would love to have him on their team all every yankees fan wanted dustin pedroia on the yankees he's exactly the, he's, he's basically a paul o'neill clone except way better than paul o'neill no offense paul o'neill um. Yeah, I, I just I'm, I'm just gonna miss him a lot, you know. I mean, I I think that one of the interesting things about the way things played out with Pedroia are not interesting, but we Red Sox fans have kind of had time to come to terms with losing him because he has been gone basically the last two years. He was barely a part of the 2018 World Series team. He obviously hasn't played really much at all in the last in the last two seasons. So we kind of got to mourn him and mourn his career in advance. It's just, it's just still a thing, man. It, it just hurts because, like that, especially for um, a younger generation of Red Sox fans who are, you know, in their a little, a little younger than me. Maybe in my age, because his rookie season was my, uh, I was, I was twenty. I was in college, so kids who grew up with Dustin Pedroia, especially, you know, who he was their favorite player growing up. And I, I was talking about this with a friend of mine. It's like, how many little kids in the greater New England area, like not just like little kids, but like. Smaller kids, kids who are small for their size or, you know, whatever else. Did he inspire to keep going? Because they saw him, this little shrimpy dude who was just ripping baseballs all over the place and go, I can do that. Now, the majority of them couldn't because they don't have Dustin Majora's genetic talent. But I don't know, man. I'll, I'll miss the dude. And what's especially sad is, like, you know, obviously it's, you know, health is the great divider when it comes to all players beyond talent, when it comes to, you know, 
longevity and and having a, a Hall of Fame career. But you know, he was there. If he if if Pedroia kept it up, I mean, his peak WAR for second base is only about three points off the the average Hall of Famer. He's way short on the career WAR and on the career Jaws because he you know he really only his career was over after. 1500 games he didn't get even the 2000 hits like you know i don't know if pedroia was was a was a great hall of fame bet but i think he you know the peak at least showed that he had the talent to do it and that all he needed really was the longevity and he just he just couldn't get there so it's a shame i will miss him greatly you know the little scrappy little grinder mm-hmm. the thing that always comes to mind to me is you remember the season of hard knocks where the jets were on or with rex ryan <sighs> fuck uh vaguely Oh, an iconic season of Hard Knocks. But there's a there's an episode. I forget exactly when it takes place, but uh, the Jets are. It's a pre. It's an exhibition game, and I think they have. Uh, it's when they had Danny Woodhead on their team before they cut him, and he signed with the Patriots. Okay. Danny Woodhead rushes for a touchdown or something, and the camera cuts to Rex Ryan on the sideline, just happy as a happy as can be, just booming that little fucker. He <laughs> loved Danny Woodhead. And I think that feeling is the same that a lot of Red Sox fans have had for Dustin Pedroia over his whole career. It's just that little fucker. Like, especially given the lunatic nuclear amounts of trash talk he, he, he would just toss out there. He was a trash talk king. I, I highly recommend looking at the best of Dustin Pedroia's trash talk. My favorite's always going to be in, when he was in college. And, and just a quick note, Dustin Joy is one of the best college hitters of the last like twenty years. You should look up his college stats if you haven't. He was a monster at Arizona State. Um, but there was a game where he was facing Mike Pelfrey, who was pitching for Wichita State. Rips and like Pelfrey, obviously back in the day, and and at points his career through very very hard. Uh, he rips a Pelfrey fastball like I don't know for a double or something. And as he's as he's running out of the box, he just screams at Pelfrey. 98 going in, 103 coming out. Like, how can you not love that? Like, if you if if you were a fan of the opposing, if you were not a Red Sox fan, Dustin Pedroia drove you insane. If you're a Red Sox fan, you loved him with to, to the ends of the earth. You know, I'll, I'll miss him. I will miss him a lot, especially because he was really one of the last. I think he, I mean he was the last kind of like existing connection to the 2007 to 2013 teams. And as it's going, he's going to be. You know, he was one of the even though he wasn't there in 2000 in 2018 you know he's still he's still a part of it but especially for the connections to 07 and 13 you know to lose that kind of is, is also a little bit bittersweet i like it i like it um last news notes uh that we could get to um before we talk some a's uh blue jays signed marcus simeon after another great baseball story of the a's <laughs> oh, giving him an IOU. yeah I, I was I was going to get into the A's with Semyon once we talked about the A's. But okay, yeah, we'll save that for Semyon. We'll save that, yeah. Um, yeah. Twins, Anderton Simmons, kind of under the radar. Really like that for them. Yeah, I do too. Um, I, I thought, I know when we talked AL Central that... Kenny Pitch, uh, I used to say. I, I think my thing was, like, I want the Twins to do something more. You know, they need to do something more. And I think Simmons is a good is a good pickup for them I, I like obviously you know what he can do defensively I like how he fits in that lineup I like that he like theoretically at least could mean less playing time for Jorge Polanco I think if I'm the twins I rather would have Luis Arias playing every day at second base but I understand that they'd rather have this super utility guy whatever point regardless like I think it's a good pickup I think he's a good player to have you know I think he makes them a stronger defensive team the like three games a year when they get Byron Buxton uh, Andrelton Simmons and Josh Donaldson all in the field at the same time is going to be just a web gem paradise. Um, 
but yeah, I, I like that move a lot for the Twins. I like Semyon for the Blue Jays. Um, I thought they got him at a good price. I think he helps with what's kind of a complicated infield situation for them, given that, you know, I was a little, I mean, I guess Justin Turner might not be their ultimate choices because he is a little on the older side. And I don't necessarily know if that's what you want to do as, you know, kind of a younger team, but he would fit with this kind of semi win now roster they have either way. Like, I guess the question now becomes, okay, you're Turner would actually make sense in Oakland now. He would actually. Um, but if you're if you're the Blue Jays, like, are you now committed to Vlad Jr. at third base? Because Semyon's going to play second, or is it still going to be Kavan Biggio at third and Vlad Jr. at first? Is it Kavan I mean, I think or I, Kevin? I think it's Kavan, but is regardless, it really Kavan. I like that. Okay. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm just making shit up. Kevin. Re- I don't know. He seems uh, Biggio Southern. I, I just I was assuming it was Kevin, just because Kevin yeah, is I mean, a very sure. Southern baseball player name. But I think it I think it does make sense to put Biggio at third. You know, I think they, the Blue Jays probably got tired of the of watching Vlad Jr. out there. So I think he also makes that infield defense better. And it takes you know, you know their third baseman initially or you know before this was Santiago Espin. All that just wasn't going to work. It makes an already good lineup that much deeper. Boy, the, the AL East between the Yankees, Rays, and Blue Jays is going to be a dogfight. Um, and I feel really bad for pitching all across that division because if the Red Sox offense looks good, that is fourth thumping teams right there. Maybe not thumping. I don't know if you can describe the Rays as thumpers, but those are four teams that can hit, uh, plus the Orioles. So I guess what I'm trying to say is I feel bad for the Orioles, per usual. <laughs> you love it. You love it. Um, all right, well, let's get into the A's this week. They won the AL West by several games last year. It feels like it was closer, but um, you go through their numbers, like especially offensively, and you're like, I don't understand how this offense works. Uh, I don't understand how any of this works. And then the Marcus Simeon stuff and just the contract stuff there. Um, I, I, <laughs> I just was blown away. And I was like, oh, Matt Olson, Parkview, fellow Parkview alum, uh, was not very good last year. And you look at it and you're like, oh, my God, a lot, of, a lot of bad. Chris Davis, oh, my God. And you just keep going up and down the list. And you're like, this offense sucks. What happened to Stephen Piscotty? Um, with all that being said, from the start, like, are they – or the, should they still be considered the favorites to win the AL West? I, I don't know about the favorites. I would imagine. I think if the season started today, I think it's probably co-favorites with the with the Astros. Neither of those teams has really done all that much. That's the thing, though. Neither team has really done all that much to make itself better this offseason. I mean, just quickly, I, we, I imagine we'll talk about the Astros at some point, but just quickly looking at what they've done this year or this offseason, they brought back Michael Brantley. Uh, they brought back Jason Castro. They signed Pedro Baez and Ryan Stanek. Those are fine. I mean, Brantley's a good a good addition. But then you look at what the, As- the A's have done, and it's uh, nothing. The A's haven't done a thing. They let Liam Hendricks walk. They let Robbie Grossman walk. They let Marcus Semyon walk. They let Tommy LaStella walk, and they let Mike Miner walk. So far, in terms of free agents, they've added literally no one. No yeah. one at all. They're not doing anything. And... I mean, look, I, I didn't expect them to keep uh, Hendricks because he was the best reliever on the market. The A's never pay for that kind of thing. You know, they were, you know, $15 million a year for Liam Hendricks is probably not something you're going to want to do. Especially because the A's are also very good at pulling relievers out of nowhere. I mean, Liam Hendricks is a nobody three years ago, and then they just, you know, made him a thing. The one that gives you pause and really makes you worry about the state of things in Oakland is Semyon. I know you, you briefly mentioned it. Offering him a contract <laughs> where, like, everything but, like, a $10 million deal, which, number one, is, a, if not a pay cut, just, an, a, an, like, an insulting amount to offer someone like Semyon. 
where mo- the, like 90% of it is deferred? What are you doing? That's not a good sign. That's really concerning. Like, the A's should not be in a situation where they need to, like, not, no major league team should be in a situation where they need to defer 90% of a contract when it's just $10 million. Like, not only that, but Semyon was really a guy they should have kept. You could, I mean, you could make what you can make an argument that no, you don't need Liam Hendricks. You got a good bullpen without him. It's easy to find good relievers. Paying fifteen million dollars for a closer is crazy. Blah 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 blah. Sure, fine. The the new shortstop in Oakland without Semyon there is Chad Tinder. That's not good. That's not that's not a good result. That's not a good end result. Whatever thought process led to that is not a good one. Um, there's a lot not good about this A's roster. I mean, just looking looking at the projections they have. Only four, only six guys, I believe, project or six hitters, at least, projected to be uh, worth more than one win, win above replacement next year, and only three were three or more: Matt Olson, Matt Chapman, and um, Chris Davis, Ramon Ramon Laureano. Uh, and I imagine the great majority of that value for Laureano is well, maybe not the great majority because I, I think the defensive metrics are kind of all over the place on him. But I have to imagine some of that is at least defensive, regardless. That's not great. You, you just don't have a lot of impact hitters in this lineup beyond Chapman and Olsen. Uh, Mark Hanna, Sean Murphy, they're all – I mean, I know, you know we're going to talk about Piscotti, but, like, those are, those are kind of role players. This is a lot of role players right here. The bench is very thin. There's not really anything in the upper levels of the minors that's going to be helping them in any sense. Like, you know, just going through their top prospects. Like, Nick Allen is a guy that maybe they – if they don't like Chad Pinder at short, they can push him up there. Um, you know, they have a little bit of outfield help in the likes of like Sky Bolt and that's really it though. Like most of their, most of their, um, most of their prospect stuff is, or prospect values and is in the pitching side of things. So I, I don't really know how the A's are going to hit, especially if, if Chapman or Olsen get hurt. Oh boy, that's, that's going to be a problem for them. Um, yeah, I, I don't really... I think the Astros are probably the favorite right now. It's only because they've actually done something because the A's have really just let this roster kind of waste away. I, I, I don't really understand it unless their financial situation is way more dire than we've been, than we've been told or that we know because obviously the teams don't release that information. So, Yeah, it's, it was way more depressing to go through this than I thought it was going to be. Um, <laughs> what do you think went right for them that kind of surprised you? From this year like what went right for them and what went wrong where you're like huh did not see that coming in 2020 what went i mean what went right i mean obviously they they won that division easily um and that's in part i think just because the the astros fell apart but that was also just a good team that they had uh sean murphy had a really nice debut um i was gonna say robbie grossman but he's gone that, that's gonna be an underrated loss for them grossman was really a, a very solid uh, platoon player for them um you know they had some guys like mark hanha perform i think a little better than most people expected you know a lot of it really was the bullpen it was a lot of their success obviously they struggled once again pitching wise uh, hazel Luzardo never really got on track uh frankie montes also got suspended um i i think the big thing for them is getting is kind of chris bassett just kind of coming out of nowhere i don't know how much you trust that given that he is 31 years old and had a strikeout ratio below eight last year. I mean, he is a two. He had a two twenty nine ERA. The his FIP though was you know 
three over three and a half, getting getting closer to four. He is probably closer to four ERA pitcher, you know, going forward. So I don't know if that's necessarily something they can, you know, chalk up as believable. If nothing else, he's got good control and seems to get a, a good amount of ground ball. So it's definitely a useful mid-rotation starter. I just don't know if he's an ace. I think ace obviously is what belongs to, I hopefully, Lizardo, maybe Montes. Uh, they got Sean Manea back healthy. I think that's big, even if Manea doesn't really look like anything more than just kind of a bottom-of-the-rotation pitcher at this point. But, you know, that is something, like, any bit of pitching depth helps. Um I just think the question for them is like, yeah, they got some things that went right, but a lot of what went right is that everything else went wrong for other teams. Um, and they were legitimately good. Like they were 36 and 24, their Pythagorean record was 35 and 25. So they, yeah, they earned it. But at the same time, like a lot of, a lot of what they did good was in the bullpen and they've lost Liam Hendricks. They lost one of their few dependable hitters in Semyon, even though he had a bad year last year, but you know, he had a bad year last year because he barely played. You know, he's only played 53 games. And then he had the playoffs. His numbers get do get a lot better. Um, yeah, they, they lost a fair amount of depth. They haven't really replaced it. Um, and the things that did go right for them, I, I don't necessarily see how replicable they are, especially like, especially someone like Bassett. You know, how how likely are you that, or how how likely can you count, or how much can you count on rather? Blech. How much can you count on a guy with an ERA or a fit closer to four with an ERA of two and a half or under two and a half. Like something's got to give one way or the other there. Yeah. I, um, I don't know if that, I'm pretty dubious about all that, but then you look at the LOS and you're like, who? No one makes sense. That's the thing though. It's, I think it's, it's a matter of one. Um, how good do you feel about the Astros given what they did last Not year? Good. Given that they're, given that they're bringing their whole lineup back. You know, a lot of that, and I know we'll, we'll probably talk about the Astros, so a lot of that's probably going to depend on what help Jose Altuve is going forward and, you know, and whether they can get some more pitching depth. But other than that, it's it's really just how good do you feel about what the Angels are doing. Um, and given that the Angels, I don't know if there's any real reason to trust them, but at the same time, like, I, I do think you're right. Like, otherwise, you know, it, it is really like who else is going to do this work, so to speak. It's not going to be the Mariners. You know, they're, they're no. definitely not a, a no. realistic threat to do anything. And the Rangers are going to be one of the worst teams in baseball. So one of those three teams has to win the AL West by definition. By, by, it is required by the rules. Um, they may not want to, but they're going to do they it. They may not it. want to, but one of them is going to almost by just by simple default. And Speaking I think default, right now the Oakland A's. I think from right now, from where I'm sitting, I like – I like the Astros a little more than the A's right now, but that, I mean, that could change if the Astros, if the A's do something, it's just, there's really nothing from this. Um, there's really nothing we've seen so far this off season to suggest that the A's are going to do anything. So that's concerning. Um, is there anything about the rotation that excites you this year? Luzardo. I really want to see what he looks like with a full season, with a full season of prep, ideally healthy. Like he's so good, man. He has such great stuff. I, I love Hayes Luzardo. Um, beyond that, I want to see what Frankie Montes looks like coming back off that PED suspension. I want to see what, you know, what, if anything, Chris Bassett can replicate from his season last year. Other than that, like, I I don't know if I really have any high hopes left for Sean Manea, given how many injuries he's gone through, given he's, you know, throwing barely 90 at this point. Um, yeah, I, I think most, most, if not all of my, of my, uh, of my excitement about that rotation is Lizardo. And hopefully, maybe at some point, who knows, ideally, a healthy A.J. Puck. But uh, I, 
Puck is nowhere near healthy, is he? He had shoulder yeah. surgery in, in September of 2020. I can't imagine he's going to be around for much of 2021, which is a real bummer because he's got really cool stuff too. But for me in that rotation, it's Luzardo or Bust. You know, he's he's got a real chance to be a very, very special pitcher with the stuff he has. Um, Piscotti, we haven't really talked about him. He was awful last year. Is it time to close the book on Stephen Piscotti being a really good player in baseball? I mean, that that book probably closed a little bit ago. He hasn't really shown or done much of anything that would suggest that that is going to be the case. I mean, I know he's still relatively... He's not old. Yeah. No, but, I mean, he he turns 30... Um, he, just, he turned 30 in January. You know, he hasn't put up an above-average season since 2018. It's granted, like, and that that's really has been his one, like, standout season. Um, I think he was pretty good in 2016, but injuries have obviously been a problem for him. You look at the, the metrics and, and all the kind of performance underneath, nothing really, like, he, he strikes out a lot. He doesn't walk very much. He's not a very good outfielder. He's not particularly fast. He doesn't hit the ball particularly hard. You know, he, he's, he's just, there's not, you're not really seeing the development of anything that would make you think, oh, there's something. Like last year, he had 206 on fastballs, you know, with a 324 slugging percentage. Obviously, is not that a bad? coach can't really, that's not great. You can't really drill down as to why that is, but that's certainly not what you want, as Joe Girardi would put it. There's a lot, like, his swing rates are going up, his swing and miss rates are going up. You know, he, he just doesn't seem to be seeing, like, his zone, his, his percentage of swings in the strike zone went up, his percentage of contact in the zone went down. That's really a problem, and I don't know what the issue is there or what the correction is there, but there, he's still hitting a lot of ground balls. He's not really getting the ball into the air much. A lot of balls pull on the ground. Like, a lot of what you're kind of seeing under the hood does not really suggest that there's anything going on there to make you feel good about anything going forward. I guess the only question would be, can you at least salvage things and have him be, but even then the, being the weak side of a platoon, I mean, he could be the good weak side of a platoon right now. I mean, he's got a career 283, 62, 481 line against left-handers. That's not nothing. But I'm not going to lie. He feels like a fourth outfielder at this point to me. And maybe and a fourth outfielder really is just the weak side of a platoon. So I don't know, which would have made sense for the A's back in the day because the A's back in the day were all about, a Dodgers style roster where everyone had a platoon partner. It felt like, but I think I don't know. I I, I don't see him being. I, I don't see him reemerging as a useful starter unless a lot of changes happen uh, underneath the hood. Last thing, and we'll wrap up on the A's. Um, is there anybody in the pipeline that uh, we should be monitoring heading into twenty twenty one? Of like, oh, we're excited. It's this person's going to be good this year. Um, Dalton Jeffries at the back of that rotation should be interesting. Um, actually, over at Fangraphs, uh, David Larilla talked to him. It turns out Dalton Jeffries throws every pitch in his repertoire without putting his fingers on the seams, which is absolutely crazy to me. I've never heard of anyone who's done that. So I'll be interested at least to see what that looks like. Um, other than that, I mentioned Nick Allen as a guy who could potentially be an, uh, a solution for them in the middle infield if either of Chad Pinder or Tony Kemp don't really work out at, at short and second respectively. Um, I think he's someone that they might maybe not push, but you know, he, he could be an option there. Again, it also depends like how much of a minor league season we get and how much and how good things look or, or don't. But um, I think those are probably two guys to keep an eye on. 
Otherwise, a lot of their talent is, like I said, kind of over on the pitching side of things. Um, but I, I don't really know how many, like, you know, James Caprielian is, has had so many injury issues. Grant Holmes, who they got for, believe that was the Josh Reddick trade, um, is still kicking around their system, you know, still could be of use to them. But I think I think for me the two guys I'm keeping an eye on are Jeffries and Allen because I think those are the guys who can have the most immediate impact right away. I think everyone else is probably a little further away. Interesting. All right, John. Well, that's all I've got. Um, all right, what are we predicting on the A's? And we'll, we'll wrap up here. Do they win the division this year? I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say no. I just don't think they have the depth necessary to do it, especially because it just doesn't seem like they're going to sign anybody. So it's it's hard to win a division when you just don't do anything in free agency unless the rest of your division is is just hyperactive trash. And like granted, like we said, like the the Mariners and the Rangers are both bad, and you know we're who knows really what the Astros and Angels are going to accomplish. But I just feel better about at least the Astros um, being able to do something as opposed to. You know, as opposed to, I, I definitely don't want to put money on the Angels. I've, I've I've learned that lesson already a million times over. But yeah, I, I don't know. I just I just don't see them as a division winning team unless unless they really make an impactful addition here, and it just doesn't seem like that's going to happen. All right, for that guy down there or up there, I should say, I'm down here. He's up there in Manhattan, New York. Oops. John Taylor. For myself, down here in Knoxville, Tennessee. That is all I've got, John. Uh, where are we going next week? Good question. Um, do we want to stay in the AL West and just go on to the Astros, the other team? Oh, we have to stay in the AL West. We're doing this by division, sir. Um, yeah, let's go to the Astros. That's fine. Yeah, let's just work our way down. Do we really have to stay in the AL West for the Mariners and the Rangers? Yes, we do. Goodness gracious. Yeah, 45 oh. minutes on Kyle Lewis. Oh, boy. Uh, I mean, that's the one good thing about the Mariners, so they got that going for them. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, let's let's do the Astros. I, I actually, you know, I, I should have taken more of a look into the Astros ahead of this one to just be able to say, like, who do I like more? But I, I definitely do think – I'm definitely interested to see, like, how the Astros stack up because I I, I, I like what they've done this offseason. They just haven't done – they haven't made that, like, big move beyond Brantley. And I just – I don't know if at this point there is time for them to make a big move if there's anyone really left. But, yeah, let's, let's see how they stack up. All right. We'll do it. Astros next week. I'll wear my uh, – Houston, um, what is my, it's not Houston Chitras. It's like, um, oh my goodness. What is the shirt that I have? It's like a huge, oh my goodness. It's going to drive me nuts. Uh, cause I haven't worn it in a year because pandemic and it's been cold. Um, but it's a very good Houston Astros sign stealing shirt. So, um, might be making some jokes next week about the, the fall of the Astros and how annoyed I was at their revival in the playoffs last year. So, um, all right. That's all I've got. John, thank you as always, sir. Talk to you next week. See you, man. All right, we're back on another Tuesday edition of the Chase Homes Podcast, and it's a special portion of the podcast. Uh, It's Jeremy Reisman here to talk about the, the, the Detroit Lions, who are in the news for breaking kneecaps and training their franchise quarterbacks <laughs> jeremy how are you i i'm good i'm good i i'm i'm busy but uh that that's nice to be busy in january for once yeah absolutely um how is the pride of detroit uh a very good detroit lines blog on sp nation that everybody should go check out how are they dealing with uh the developments of this offseason for the lines thus far 
I would say surprisingly, all things considered, it's uh, it's surprisingly positive. Um, I think people were more than ready to to move on from the Matt Patricia era. So just about anything would have been positive. But you know, when the news broke, Matthew Stafford wanted out. That was not uh, an easy uh, thing to swallow. I think, but. Uh, lucky for Lions fans, they only had to deal with that uh, for about a week before things got, you know, um, set set in motion with with the Rams. And I think most people are actually pretty happy with what the Lions got in return. And, and surprisingly, a lot are are happy for Matthew Stafford too. So um, to see things end amicably is good. And um, you know, the the Lions have something exciting in the future. They have five first round picks in the next three years. And for a team that for a fan base that really just builds itself on hope. That's a lot of hope. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so it sounds like you like the trade. It, when you saw the final results and the final who goes where, what picks come to Detroit, did you end up liking the trade? Is this something where you're like, this This is good? Yeah. No No question about it. Um, I was thinking the Lions were going to get something in the range of a first and maybe a third. And theoretically i think that that's technically maybe even what they ended up getting because a lot of people are making the argument that they they took on that um jared goff contract uh, by by getting in a, another first round pick and maybe it didn't exactly go down like that and and it certainly seems like maybe the lines don't necessarily see it that way i think i think they like jared goff a lot um but it's hard for me to look at two first round picks a third round pick and a quarterback that'll get you through at least the next year or two um, as anything but a ginormous haul for a 33-year-old quarterback that was ready to move on. And so I think it's a great kickstart to a, a full rebuild here in Detroit. And uh, I think Brad Holmes has to, you know, feel pretty good about his first significant move as Lions GM in one of the biggest trades in, in Lions history. Was Holmes number one on your list for GM targets? He wasn't. Um, he was up there. You know, I, I tried to do as much research on each individual guy. I, I think I maybe lean towards um, someone who, who had a little bit more experience. You know, it, it seems like the Lions could use more experienced heads in the front office. And to their credit, they went out and got a couple um, to, to help around him. But I was kind of a Rick Smith guy. I thought he deserved a, another chance considering, you know, what he had to deal with in Houston for years and uh, uh, how successful he really was over there. And I think he's probably ready for another shot. I'm not exactly sure why he didn't get one this round but um Holmes was up there I I do like what they've been doing in in Los Angeles for years I like their aggressiveness his track record in terms of college scouting is is absolutely phenomenal I think um given that the the Rams haven't had a first round pick in years and they've still been able to develop young talent so I I like Brad Holmes a lot I probably had a couple people ahead of him but um I think the Lions probably fell in love with him um after some interviews and and you know based on what little I've I've talked to him um I, I can see why as well he has some ties to Detroit doesn't he was it his dad who played there what? I think it was his uncle or uncle. something like that yeah yeah Okay. Which is, I mean, that's always fun. It's always nice to have someone who at least has a a basic of understanding of what it's like to be a Lions fan. Um, I mean, obviously they got that in Dan Campbell. Um, but yeah, I think I think Lions fan. It's a quick way to endear yourself to Lions fan is to kind of make those De- Detroit ties and and understand the struggle that it is to be a Lions fan. Absolutely. Um, what will you miss most about uh, Matt Stafford? Man, there's there's a lot. I think I think the really just on a very basic level it's just the arm strength um he he'll he'll make 
two or three throws each game, really, that just kind of make your jaw drop. And after 12 years, it still made my jaw drop. You know, there's 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 the fun stuff like the no look passes and um, the the fourth quarter comebacks and and all that sort of stuff. But um, to me, it's just what he can deliver on a weekly basis is something that you really don't see a lot of around the NFL. And and that's not to say Stafford's a perfect prospect and he's going to be amazing with the Rams. He he, he makes plenty of mistakes too. And and sometimes they're mental lapses. Sometimes they're accuracy issues. But um, every now and then, literally, I think it's a couple times a game, he'll just throw a, a jaw-dropping throw, and you're just like, man, I'm, I'm blessed to be able to watch this. And, and I feel blessed that I, that I was able to watch Stafford for 12 years. And, you know, there are other stuff that I'll miss, too. You know, the, the guy was just the pro's pro, never said a, a bad word about the organization, um, always seemed to be, um, you know, in, in a huge competitive spirit. I, I guess maybe that would be the other thing, is just his crazy competitive spirit. The guy who's playing for you know a, a five and ten team with rib cartilage damage with you know s- stuff wrong with ligaments and his, his thumb torn doing all this stuff for absolutely no reason he doesn't have to play for the lions on week 17 in 2020 maybe he knew it was going to be his last game at the time but the guy uh, i mean he he's just wants to be out there above every single thing even including his own health and that that's i think um pretty rare in this league Absolutely. When you saw the press conference and the memes that spiraled <laughs> out from Dan Campbell immediately, did you? How much did you just go? Oh no, it's already over. How, was that your first thought? Where this is, this is it. We already hired offensive John, Jim Tom Sula. Like this is, this is done. <laughs> I would say it's it's less than you may think. I okay. Think because I, I really do believe locally that press conference played out a lot, lot, lot better than it did nationally. Interesting. Um, there, there were a lot. I mean, I think Lions fans in general were psyched because, I mean, that was a 30 second clip. He he spoke for I, almost 90 minutes. I mean, his opening statement, I think, went 15 minutes alone. And and most people just heard that 30 second clip. But he did a good job really kind of explaining what, what Lions fans wanted to hear, which is I'm not going to come in here and promise that this team is going to win 12 wins right now. Like you guys have heard that bull crap over and over and over and over again. I'm not going to feed you that. But and then he got kind of into a spiel. But, I mean, he, I think the biggest concern with him in general was just, like, the lack of X's and O's. He did, He kind of seems like, you know, the old school meathead type where he would say something like he did in that press conference. And maybe for a minute that had people worried. But I think the, the way he explained everything else, the way he explained his process. And then I think really the, the biggest confidence booster I think Dan Campbell has gotten so far is hiring around him. I think I think the Lions have done an excellent job yeah. hiring an offensive quarter, coordinator in Anthony Lynn, who has a lot of respect around the league. Aaron Glenn is an up-and-comer. This will be his first time as a defensive coordinator, but a lot of teams had, had pegged him as a head coach candidate. Um, and so I think a lot of people that were concerned about, you know, that just kind of old-school, old rah-rah kind of guy, um, their, their minds are a little bit at ease now that the Lions coaching staff has, has filled out. And, uh, and, and, Listen, I I think Lions fans are are that they like the fun a little bit, you know. They like the silliness of that. Lions fans haven't had any fun under Matt Patricia in the past three years. I mean, he he's the opposite of fun, and so having a guy come in there and show a little personality, I think that played well to Detroit. Interesting. Um, so when you look at the staff, you look at the front office. Like, is there it like is there were you feeling this way about Bob Quinn? It's so easy to forget just how yeah. you feel as a fan. Like when a new administration comes in, you're like, ah, oh, fresh start. 
right. and then a year or two later you're like wow that did not go as expected um <laughs> what happened here it's just inevitable it's part of being a fan sure um you get a clean slate it's new it's fresh um sugar ray leonard roberto duran marvelous marvin Hagler, and thomas hearns legends whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Is that how you're feeling right now, where you're like, I've been, I've been down this road, and this all seems interesting on paper, this sounds good, but we still have to do a rebuild, and it's, it's really hard. In the NFL, it's really hard to find guys like Matt Stafford. It's really hard to build a consistent winner in the NFL. It's really hard to make this all work. The NFC, the NFC is tough. Um, do you get concerned that like, oh, they're planning for a long rebuild, but do they know what that's going to look like and how ugly this can get and how complicated this can get? Because like, I think Quinn and uh, Quinn and Patricia were like 31 and 41, I want to say, in yeah, their time. Some, like, something like that. I wouldn't be surprised if Campbell and Holmes had a worse record to that point if they get at least three years, right? Because of how this roster is going to look and what they're going to do. But it's just like, does Miss Ford and uh, this administration have the stomach for going through a nasty teardown where things get really bad really for, for several years? It's a good question. And and I think Lions fan and really any NFL fan has to kind of keep that in the back of the mind, like how tough and how most likely unsuccessful it was last time you tried to do something like this. Um, the, the one thing I will say is that it does seem like things are a little bit different this time around. And, and yes, that I also realize that statement has been said a thousand times yeah. before from a team trying to convince themselves that this team is finally on the right track. But the, the things I will say is you have a new owner who took over Chila Ford Hamp took over in uh, I want to say June last year. So um, this was, all her process from the get-go, and it was much more thorough than it was last time around. Um, the, when the Lions hired Bob Quinn, they, they got Ernie Acorsi to come in and consult. They they interviewed three GMs. Ernie Acorsi was their guy. One of them, I think, was even internal. So basically, not a very widespread search for Bob Quinn. They fell in love with him immediately. Everything else fell to the wayside, and, and he was their guy. This time around, I think they, hire, they interviewed 13 GM candidates, um, and, and same with the head coach, the head coach was maybe not quite as thorough as the GM search, but, um, certainly more thorough than their search, um, to replace Jim Caldwell with Matt Patricia. I mean, that was something that was just decided by the, by the second Jim Caldwell was out the door. So, um, the, I think there is a little bit of belief that, that the process has been different now, whether that means the results are different, that's completely you know, left to be decided. I think you're right in that it's not easy to do. And the thing that has me concerned the most is that quarterback search, right? Um, it, it took the Lions decades upon decades upon yep. decades to find a guy like Matthew Stafford. And so there's no guarantee that anyone walking in that door, no matter how high of a draft pick you spend on him, is is that next guy. And so that to me is, is the biggest question mark, the biggest concern. Um, otherwise, I think I'm willing to be patient to see how this, you know, defensive roster turns around because it needs a ton of turnaround. Um, see who they, they bring in to, to help Jared Goff in the, in the interim in terms of wide receiver core because the Lions are a little bare there as well. And I think the fact that the Lions gave Dan Campbell a, a six-year deal shows that they're ready to, to be patient as well. And so they're ready to lose, baby. They're, they're the Lions way. Lose. And I mean, they, even the, the trade they, they did with the Rams. I mean, they got uh, first round picks, not this year, but in 2022 and 2023. And to me, that, again, 
that's a, a commitment to the long term. So I think the Lions are going to be willing to ride this out, and it probably means a couple of, of bad years of being ready to lose. But uh, I do think they, they know what's ahead of them and, and know how big of a climb that is. And if we know anything about the history of the Detroit Lions franchise, great <laughs> things are on the horizon from a rebuild. <laughs> Super Bowl in 2024. Um do you think they're going to do more of a focus? Because it seems like this would be something I would expect with Jared Goff coming in. Um, they spent a lot of draft capital on running backs. They brought in Adrian Peterson. Like, Do you think we're going to see more of a focus on um, bootlegs, play action, short stuff, and also just starting from DeAndre Swift and on Johnson if he's ever healthy? Or do you think it's still going to be a very pass-happy team? No, I, th- I think you're right. I think your instincts are right there. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of digging right now, right now into Anthony Lynn's um, history. And, you know, he's a former running back and he certainly has has shown at times, you know, that's that's his M.O. when he was with the Bills and, and his one year as an offensive coordinator. They were certainly a run heavy team. I think they were the, the number one running team in the league. Um, but his time with the Chargers was kind of up and down. There was a lot of running there was, and then there was a lot of good passing involved. But I do think you know, given the fact that you are starting kind of a new at quarterback, given the fact that you did just spend a lot of draft capital on DeAndre Swift, I do think that's how they're going to start the rebuild is through that run game. They got a couple of good pieces on that offensive line as well. You got TJ Hawkinson as, as kind of that short guy that could be part of play action as well. So, yeah, I think that's where the lines start. I don't know if that's where they eventually you know, land full time. But, um, you know, we're, we're also talking about Dan Campbell, who, you know, he came into his press conference a little defensive about that already saying, you know, I'm not just a run guy. You know, I was just with the Saints for five years and we knew how to throw the ball a heck of a lot. But um, but in the end, I, I do. I mean, he even said, like, but I do love running the ball. So I do think that's going to be their identity early on and, and maybe completely. But um, I think it makes sense given where the roster is at, given, you know, where I think Jared Goff's strength lay, that, that that's probably a good place to start. What do you uh, ultimately think happens with Kenny Galladay? That's a tough one. Um, if you would have asked me a week ago before this trade, I would have said he's probably getting franchised or extended, but now they're a little tighter against the cap taking on that Goff contract, and so now it, it's tricky. Um, Galladay has, has really already expressed several times that he wants to come back. He even went on Good Morning Football and, and talked about how much he loved Dan Campbell's speech, so um, maybe that's just him negotiating, maybe not, but I do Nate think Burlington he probably said yelling at him before going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hyping him up, all yeah. that stuff. Um, but I, I mean, I don't know if, if really it makes sense to, to pay a guy, you know, 19, 20 million a year, which is probably what he's asking for. Um, when, you know, by the time the lines are good, that contract might be even, you know, if, if they backload it, which they might have to. Um, that, that contract could be tough to manage in 2023 and 2024. And maybe they're not looking that far ahead and maybe they just want to, to field a, a good enough team this year because I'm sure Dan Campbell didn't come here to, to go two and 15 or whatever it's going to be next year with the 17 game schedule. But, um, I guess my instincts tell me maybe right now the best move. And it, I mean, it might be, again, that might be hard to finagle with the lines cap situation. Um, it might be the franchise tag for a year and, and, if he doesn't sign it, maybe maybe they can swing a trade, you know, a, a franchise tag and, and trade. That to me isn't a a horrible option given that they're investing so much in the future at this time. But it's really kind of a tricky situation that that became even trickier after this uh, this golf trade. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, last thing, we'll wrap up here. Um, who are the pieces that you really want to keep around during this rebuild? Who are the names that you've already circled that like no matter what happens, no matter where we're at cap wise, I want to keep these guys for this rebuild. 
there's really not a lot in it, uh, which is shots fired. Kind of a, Darius Slay. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, Jeff Okuda, I guess. Yeah. I mean, Jeff Okuda yeah. is, is probably where where you're starting on defense. Um, not not a great rookie season, but I do believe um the Lions are going to get that turned around. They they have a, a defensive coordinator now who is a, an All Pro in this league as a corner, so um that should feel good for them. Def- other, I don't know if there's another guy on defense though. Honestly, um, Tracy Walker is a guy that I like a lot, but took a big step back last year, and I, I'm not necessarily. I, I don't want to commit to him. Full no, term. Gerard Davis. The, no, you know what? Dan Campbell seems to like Jared Davis uh, for whatever reason. He's mentioned him twice now, even though the guy's a, a free agent, um, and you know, by all means, has not been successful um, as a first round pick, and and had his fifth year option decline last year, but. Um, that that's an interesting one to keep an eye on because I, I get the feeling more and more that he might be back. Um, offensively speaking, obviously DeAndre Swift, as we mentioned, is is probably going to be a centerpiece to this offense going forward. Um, T.J. Hawkinson as well just made his first Pro Bowl only two years in. Um, I think his career is is only on the upwards. And then uh, I, I think a couple pieces of that offensive line you really want to build around. Frank Ragnow again made a Pro Bowl first time this year. Um, I think Taylor Decker is playing at a Pro Bowl level. Um, and then maybe you want to throw Jonah Jackson in there. Rookie last year played pretty well, but maybe not at the uh, at the level that you expect. But I think I think that's probably your core right there. Those five or six players, and then uh, everyone else can uh, can find somewhere else to go. I suppose. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, man. Well, this has been great. I appreciate it. I love talking to Lions fans that are weirdly optimistic and have totally <laughs> forgotten about everything that else that's happened in their life that's told them, hey, don't do this. <clears throat> but you keep trudging through. I love it. I love it. Uh, Jeremy, uh, you have to. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I'm a Falcons fan, an Atlanta fan. Like, it's in Tennessee. <laughs> like, it's it's all terrible. You got to do it. You got to do it. That's what makes sports <laughs> fandom good is it's irrational and idiotic. Um, what can we check out from you this week on Pride of Detroit or anywhere else? Yeah, I mean, obviously, we, we got all store stuff breaking down the, the golf, and, and I'm calling it the golf trade now because uh, oh. it's not the Stafford trade. Okay. <laughs> um, all sorts of stuff breaking that down. I am going to be writing up that piece on Anthony Lynn and, and where he might be taking the offense sometime soon on Pride of Detroit. Um, you can find us on all the social medias at Pride of Detroit, or you can have uh, my takes on food and TV and stuff like that at Detroit Online on Twitter. All right, go do that. Jeremy, keep up the great work, sir. Thank you so much for the time, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Sounds good, Chase. Thanks for having me. All right, we're back on the Chase Thomas Podcast, a Tuesday morning edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast, and Felix Sicard, old friend, is here to talk about the Anaheim Ducks, who will not have a good offense in my adult life. Felix, good morning, your time. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me back. It's uh, It's been a long time, and I was going to say so much has changed, but it really hasn't for the Ducks this season. No, no, Felix. It's it's still not good. I, I already missed the Jack Hughes sweepstakes. It's, uh, it feels like forever ago that uh, the Ducks <laughs> had bigger dreams, but um, the good news is they have goalies that can uh, stop things, so that's that's nice. That's what you want in hockey is the continue to be the most boring team imaginable. Um. What do, uh, who have you been watching a lot in the last week? Have you wa- mostly just stuck to the Ducks, or have you been able to catch a lot of different teams in the past week? Yeah, well, so for, for those who don't know, I am a Montreal Canadiens fan. That is my team. I was born in Montreal, so I do watch as many of their games as possible. So that actually has given me some, some enjoyment watching hockey since they've just been kind of running over 
the, the North Division, the Canadian Division. So that's been fun, um, realizing that the Canucks are actually bad and, uh, you know, maybe the Leafs are a little more flawed than was expected. So that's given me, like I said, a little more enjoyment than uh, watching the Ducks just kind of get pummeled night in, night out. Makes sense. Um, there's some new stuff that I want to throw at you and get your perspective on, Felix. Um, the latest on Tony D'Angelo, what do you make of everything going on in New York right now with him? Well, I mean, it's it's a pretty sad situation just for, I think, everybody involved except Tony D'Angelo because clearly um, he's not a very good teammate. Clearly he's really hard to be around. And I think what's kind of depressing about the situation is that really the only ring the only reason that the rangers are moving on from him it seems is that they um that he didn't have a spot in their lineup anymore this doesn't seem to be about anything off-ice related because the off-ice stuff has clearly been there for a long time and so yeah it's just kind of a bummer i i guess i'm happy to see that no other team picked up tony d'angelo off of waivers since you know all of all 30 other teams had an opportunity to do so and he is a good player i don't think anyone's questioning that but as far as a person that uh very much up for debate so i'm yeah just kind of a bummer of a situation but i think that the right thing is happening at least right now yeah i um i I, this is going to continue to get uglier it's going to be my guess um felix i don't think this is going to be the end of this and it's going to continue to get more and more depressing and awful um speaking of depressing jim rutherford exits from the pittsburgh penguins it reportedly shocked Sidney crosby um were you surprised when you saw that he was resigning in pittsburgh i was a little surprised i mean i think you know everybody nobody really saw it coming because jim rutherford is such an active gm and he's really been wheeling and dealing at the helm of the pittsburgh penguins for the last few years but Look, he's he's getting up there. The the Penguins, I mean, their hopes were kind of dashed last season. And I think that you look at the trajectory of this team and maybe he just didn't see a path forward anywhere. I don't know. But, yeah, I'm, I was mostly surprised, I guess I'd say. Yeah, what do you what do you think is ultimately going to happen there? Who do you think they are going to target or who do you think would make a lot of sense for Pittsburgh to replace him? Oh, boy. Well, I mean, I think everybody saw the list that was put out there. I forget which broadcast had it up, but basically just, just a long list of, of retreads. I mean, Peter Shirelli's name got on there, which was a shocker. And I kind of want him to be hired just for the sheer entertainment value of, of having Peter Shirelli back in our lives again and, and making these absurd trades uh, that that completely revamped the league. Um, but Realistically, I mean, I don't really have any specific names in mind, but I would think, I would hope at least that they're going to go a direction that's a bit more kind of a middle ground between, you know, old school and I guess a more modern way of thinking, incorporating more analytics. Um, I know that Jason Botterill's name has been thrown out there, but I, I don't, I mean, he's kind of shown that he's not really that with his time in Buffalo. Um, you know, I know that I don't know what Eric Tolson's status is with with Carolina. I mean, he just got a promotion there, but that would be a name that I would really love to see in a GM's chair at some point. I don't know if maybe 
maybe he's quite there yet in terms of his own career's evolution, but just someone completely different as opposed to another retread would be awesome. Yeah, I, um, I'm i interested to see what they ultimately do there. Um, the Ottawa Senators, another terrible hockey team in the NHL this <laughs> season, acquired the forward Jack Kopaka. What do you what do you think about that? Is there anything that makes you go, hmm, okay. <laughs> well, I don't know if... I don't know if you planted this question on purpose, but for for the podcast that I do, we have some listeners where we have a, a running joke about Jack Kopaka. Mm. I mean, why hasn't he made the NHL yet? You know, why, why are you so down on him? Because his name has been brought up a lot in the past. And um, look, uh, good for Jack Kopaka, I guess. Continues to be a pro hockey player. Continues yeah. to be paid to play hockey. Yes. You know, so that's great. Good for him. Exactly. And who doesn't want to go to Ottawa? Yeah. Who Who doesn't want <laughs> Um, well, I would. I mean, those New Jerseys are pretty awesome, so it, mm-hmm. it, it's become a, a better destination. I would agree. I would agree. Um, what do you think about the rookies in terms of like Niles? I know you're kind of lower on the Canucks as of late. Uh, Niles Hoglander's done a really good job. He's 20, scored six points, three goals, three assists in his 12 games this season. He's actually tied with uh, other Ottawa Senators legend forward Josh Norris for second among rookies who are 21 and younger. Um, what do you make about those two? Yeah, well, I mean, in terms of Hoglander and Norris, I think that, you know, there's there's definitely a lot to like in both of their games, you know, a lot of skill. And with, with Norris, I have gotten to see him play up close. So that's kind of the thing with the Senators is that they, you know, they have this nice crop of young talent, and there's a lot to like there. It's just that they've, you know, and like with Tim Stutzler as well, but they've kind of hit this fast-forward button on their franchise, you know, with a bunch of veterans being brought in that aren't good, by the way. Um, and, you know, there's people dubbing their offseason as one of the best in the NHL, the most improved teams. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's clearly not working out that way. But I do still like their young talent. Yeah, I, uh, I'm excited to see what happens there because I think they're uh, – I'm just kidding. I'm never excited about the Senators. Um <laughs> The big three that I wanted to dish on with you today. Um, the Ducks. We have to talk about the Ducks. Um, what if you to if someone were to ask you? You're at a you're at a sports bar. It's pre-pandemic, Felix. You're at a sports bar, and someone's wearing a Ducks jersey, big Ryan Miller jersey. They got it custom made. They've just they love Ryan Miller. They love the chase. They hope he breaks the wins record. Um, they ask you what uh, what is plaguing this team and why do why do they, no matter who is on the bench, it doesn't matter, and that they, for whatever reason, cannot score goals and never get over this, whatever kind of tar they're stuck in? How would you, how would you frame it for him? Uh, well, I think that it's, it's two things. One, the roster talent isn't what it used to be. So there's clearly been a dip in just the overall, especially offensively, uh, the amount of guys who can just put the puck in the net, proven goal scorers. But that being said, the, the talent on this roster isn't terrible. I mean, it's not – I don't think that they they should be the worst team in the NHL. So I think in large part the reason why things haven't been changing is because the coaching has continued to be suboptimal. I mean, Dallas Aikens was supposed to be this, uh, you know, new-age coach and was going to bring a fresh look, and he hasn't done that. And if you think about it, it makes sense because it's the same assistant – that Randy Carlisle had at the end of his tenure, it's still Marty Wolford and Mark Morrison. And, oh, by the way, uh, 
to the head coach right now is Daryl Sutter. So I think that's one of the biggest reasons is that they have a coaching staff who has a system that doesn't work and that is really hindering this roster. I don't think this roster is uh, a contender by any means, but I think they're just on pure talent. They're better than what they've shown. Do you think it ultimately turns around this season? Uh, probably not. I think Hell yeah. Hell yeah. That's what we want to hear. <laughs> I mean, if you're Team Tank, this is great news. Um, I just There's just something that's really missing there. They're really unable to defend. They're unable to generate offense, which seems like a pretty bad combination. And ultimately, I think that they will, you know, they may get a little better. I think that you saw on Sunday somebody's game against St. Louis that they they picked it up a little bit, but it's just it feels like as long as Aikens is at the helm and as long as he keeps kind of trotting out his fourth line as if it's essentially the second line, I just don't really see how this team makes the playoffs really. Yeah, I don't I don't either. Um are the Florida Panthers legit for you? Well, I mean one thing that I've that I've always liked about the Panthers is that they do have the top end talent. And it does seem as though, you know, in the division they're in, <laughs> there's a lot of opportunities for that talent to shine. Um, but I guess with them, we've kind of seen stretches before where they've looked better. So I'm still very much in wait and see approach. Yeah. I'm fascinated by the Panthers. I'm sure the NHL is not and adamantly opposed to this. Their good... jerseys are really boring. That's what kind of prevents me from getting that excited, I think. Everything about them is boring. The Panthers stuff just never made any sense to me in Florida anyway. Like, the Florida Panthers <laughs> part of it. Like, everyone else is rebranding with the Miami stuff. Just change it up. Like, they got to do, like, a full-on rebrand. Like, rebrand. I don't know what we're waiting on down there in Florida. But, um, yeah, they need they need something else. It is boring as hell. Um, Sam Bennett, do you have trade ideas for the Flames if they were to move him this year? <sighs> I mean, I don't really understand the hype around the Sam Bennett trade thing because he's like a third liner at this point. I mean, you know, he's 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 got the name brand value that a lot of people are still latching onto. I mean, the Ducks have been, you know, people have been asking, well, should the Ducks make a move on Sam Bennett? And sure, you know, you can probably, I mean, if you're the Flames, I would be trying to get, you know, probably like a, I would probably be trying to get whatever I can cashing in on that that name brand value probably a second round pick maybe a first i mean that seems extremely unlikely just given given the state of 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 his game but it's not out of the realm of possibility given how nhl gms really do seem to value kind of uh you know pedigree or draft pedigree past resume um but i would i mean especially for the ducks i would just be steering clear because I don't really think he makes teams substantially better, at least enough to justify the kind of price it might take to um, to get him. But that's great news for the Flames because they'll probably get something decent out of him. Yeah, that is that is true. Um, what uh, what are you monitoring right now, storyline wise, in the next couple of weeks? Is there anything uh, that we should be paying attention to that you're paying attention to right now? Well, to me, I mean, the biggest there's I guess there's two things. So. Of course, I'm going to stay on the Ducks just because that's the team that I spend probably an unhealthy amount of time following and and, and uh, dissecting. But I am just curious to see, you know, 
at what point, well, first off, at what point do the Ducks kind of admit that the season has just kind of passed them by? But also, Zegers watch. When is Trevor Zegers going to get a chance to, to play for the Anaheim Ducks this season? You saw Timo Solani post on his Instagram story yesterday calling out the team why he's not on the Ducks yet uh, after scoring a, a shootout winner for the San Diego Gold, and he's been lighting it up in the, in the AHL. So I'm watching that. Um, and, I mean, this is kind of, a less exciting note, but COVID watch. I mean, if you look at the NHL right now, it hasn't been terrible per se. I don't think we've seen an NBA level of, of impact with some of the delays and um, things of that nature, but it's it's starting to kind of trend in the wrong direction. You're seeing more teams having issues, more games getting moved back, and um, I'm just curious to see because, you know, supposedly we're, we're past kind of the peak of this, you know, current COVID wave, but the NHL seems to be just catching on to the wave right now. And I mean, that could, that could definitely be problematic. All right. What can we check out from you this week, Felix? Well, I've got uh, a few things going on here. I've got an article that just went up over at uh, craftthepond.com, which is where we do a podcast, um, an article just breaking down the blue series. We've got a new episode up crash the pond where we just broke down what's going on with the ducks what the team should do about the gm the coach just everything in the week in the in, in between and i've got an article going up at the fourth period as well uh, breaking down the state of the franchise and you can check all that out at felix underscore card on twitter all right go do that keep up the great work my friend and uh, we will talk again soon all righty thanks so much man Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.